0: Welcome to Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: This is episode 154, and it's 27th of February 2021.
1: And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel?
0: Really good, thank you. Um, I had some very exciting deliveries in the post. I've received the next instalments of the High Republic series, specifically A Test of Courage and Into the Dark, mm-hmm. which I'm very excited about. Um, So I know you've read Test of Courage, haven't you, Kirsty? And we're hopefully going to do a more in-depth discussion about that in due course, but like, do you want to share some quick thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I I read that the day after I finished Light of the Jedi. It just happened to come through from the library at that time, and I devoured it within a day. It was really good. Um, Awesome. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It was a really nice um, companion to Light of the Jedi, because I I think you said the same. Obviously, we'll get into it in a future episode. Light of the Jedi is a really great first look at this era, but in terms of characters... There's so many, and there's so much happening that uh, it's it's you kind of just want to slow down and spend some more time with characters in like a smaller story um, during that time, and that's what A Test of Courage does. So I really appreciated that um, right after. So I enjoyed those, um, and yeah, I'm really excited for Into the Dark as well because I love Claudia Gray. Yeah,
0: you can't go wrong. Um, and yeah, that also makes me really excited to read these books because. Yeah, I basically have very similar thoughts to Kirsty with regards to these books. Like, I really enjoyed Light of the Jedi, and it's exactly what you need to establish this new era in Star Wars storytelling. But it's just a little overwhelming because the dr- dramatist persona um would just be like hundreds of names basically and it's quite a challenge to keep track of everyone and i think the novel does a good job of it you know given what it is but i'm really looking forward to those smaller stories that just follow like a little group of characters and that definitely seems like what these additional novels do so Mm -hmm. yeah fun times ahead yeah. Um and yeah, I see that you watched some classic Muppets as well, Kirsty.
1: Yeah, they put the Muppet show uh on Disney Plus, so I skipped ahead to the Mark Hamill C three PO and R2 episode.
0: <laughs> awesome. It was a lot of fun. Was it as good as it looks?
1: <laughs> good, yes. <laughs> 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 no, I really enjoyed it. I I'd obviously seen clips, um, so you know, it's it's not like brand new information, but it was like, you know, a little dose of like holiday specialness. Um, Mark hamming it up as he does. It was great.
0: I love that you say hamming it up, Kirsty, in relation to the muppet show. <laughs> Cause Miss Piggy is Yeah,
1: and Mark Hamill. <laughs>
0: You see, I didn't even detect that. So, yeah, this is just perfect. I love this. It's yeah. wonderful. It's just yeah, full of fun. It,
1: it was classic, Mark. It was really enjoyable.
0: Great. I look forward to checking that out at some point. Um, And yeah, we also just quickly want to mention that we've really appreciated um, our listeners' reactions to this series on the sequel trilogy that we've been going through. Um, It's been really awesome just to hear people's memories and hear people's responses if they perhaps weren't deep into the fandom when The Last Jedi was coming out. So yeah, thanks for all your tweets and everything, guys. It's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I've noticed a lot of people lately—not not even necessarily people who listen to our show, but just in general in the fandom—people are like thinking back to this time period a bit more, because um, mm. you know time has gone by, and we, you know, we've had um, the TV series starting, and we've got this new High Republic era, and maybe people are like comparing the hype around those things to the sequel trilogy era because it was very different. You know, there's a different level of investment, at least for a lot of fans. And, and different tone to kind of the theorising and, and where things might go um, I guess people are wondering if we'll ever get that feeling back again
0: <laughs> yeah exactly you can't quite beat the highs of that pre-TLJ period I must say <laughs> where it was literally like oh my goodness Daisy ridley's given a new interview and she alludes to a relationship that her character might be having with kylo (gasps) you know and like the most minor things would just cause this like great swell of excitement and yeah i don't know when we'll get that back again and honestly for the sake of our equilibrium it might be good if things stay chill relative to that so yeah we'll see (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this week what we're going to do is just finish off our last Jedi retrospective because it had to be cut a bit short last time due to a variety of factors. We basically mainly covered the run up to the film. And in this episode, we're just going to talk about when the film came out. So some of the initial reviews, what we thought about the film when we first saw it, and then just reflect a bit on how we feel about it now, given how much has happened since it came out. So, yeah, hopefully this will be an interesting discussion for people. And yeah, just at the beginning, um, we want to state that obviously we're aware that The Last Jedi is a very controversial movie. Like, we're not blind. We have seen the many YouTube videos that exist on this subject. Well, I haven't.
1: I know they exist.
0: Yeah, exactly. We've seen the thumbnails for the YouTube videos <laughs> that exist on this subject, but we have hopefully not watched too many of those videos. Um And yeah, we're basically just not going to go into that here because I think it's safe to say for both of us that we enjoy talking about Star Wars when we're focusing on the things we love about Star Wars and what we find great about it. And we don't find that aspect of the reaction to The Last Jedi great at all, to be honest. So we're really not going to go there. Um, And that's not to say it's all just going to be like 100% positivity. You know, we're not robots, but like we're just not going to focus on the more toxic aspect of the response to the film basically is that fair Kirsty?
1: Yeah I mean we were saying just before we kind of started recording that we do think a bit of that controversy has been kind of overblown in the fandom thanks to some bad actors um, mm. and it, it's been politicized to a degree that's I I didn't really see coming I mean you know you've got Ted Cruz at CPAC talking about Star Wars now so it's it's to a such a ridiculous degree that I'm like how do we even approach that topic and is that our job and I think people kind of know where we stand and there are Star Wars movies that we don't love but we haven't tried to monetize and package that hate and align it with politics that's nothing to do with Star Wars you know it's, it's just it's it's just too much. It's concerning and I see it in um, the way people operate fandoms in, o- in other properties as well. It's not it's not limited to Star Wars. It's just this is the one that we have kind of the close-up personal experience with and uh, we just don't really want to go into it today. We want to focus on, on what we love.
0: Exactly. Perfectly expressed. Um, so yeah, what I've done to start this discussion is I just found some quotes from various reviews of the film. Um, and yeah, I just thought that would be a nice starting point because, to be honest, it was just such a frenzy of excitement when the film came out that we didn't really have time to discuss or absorb like what the critics were saying. Um, obviously, the critical reaction was extremely positive. Um, I don't have the Rotten Tomatoes score in front of me, but I think like 91% of critics gave it a positive review, which is obviously very impressive and one of the highest scores for all the Star Wars movies um but yeah that's obviously meaningless in its own right and it's more interesting to read what people actually wrote so yeah could you read out this bit from the first excerpt i have here kirsty which is um from the new york times
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, the last jedi embraces the magic and mystery Part of what has already made the new trilogy more successful is that its directors, J.J. Abrams and Mr. Johnson, are technically adept, commercially savvy Star Wars true believers who came of age in the post-Lucas blockbuster era. Each has had to navigate the intricacies of Mr. Lucas's sprawling fiction while handling the deep imprint created by Darth Vader's heavy-breathing menace, R2-D2's amusing beeps, Mr. Ford's insouciance, Mr. Hamill's earnestness, and Ms. Fisher's smarts and latter-day scruble charm. Unlike Mr. Lucas, though, Mr. Abrams and Mr. Johnson don't feel burdened by that legacy. They're into it, charged up, despite the pressures of such an industrial enterprise. They're resolving their cinematic father issues with a sense of fun. Uh, Mr. Johnson can make you forget about those issues, as well as the franchise's insistent obligations. It also seems like he had a good time at work. He brings lightness to his banter, visual flair, not simply bleeding-edge special effects the design, and narrative-savvy to Rey and Kylo Ren's relationship.
0: Yeah, and that's obviously just a small part of the review, because we'd be here forever if I included the full-length reviews, because some of them were quite long. But yeah, I just thought this one was an interesting one to start with, because it just really captures the optimism there was like in that period, and particularly I think after The Last Jedi came out, because... Something that a lot of critics observed and that I also remember feeling is that it was just so exciting because those two films complemented each other really well. Because I think Force Awakens is a really great film, but it obviously doesn't push the boundaries in quite the same way that The Last Jedi does. So I kind of felt that Force Awakens was the perfect starting point and then The Last Jedi was the perfect expansion from that origin. So yeah, I, I like these comments and yeah, I concur with this critic. Um, how do you feel about this excerpt, Kirsty?
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, it. I appreciate reviews that come from people who you get the kind of impression that they've never been that first about Star Wars themselves. Mm. So it's kind of a more um, distance perspective. And I do think The Last Jedi got a lot of people into Star Wars that hadn't necessarily been into it before, or at least like, to the degree and I'm sure that's true of every single Star Wars thing that comes out, it attracts new fans. But if people remember, at the time just after this movie came out, there was such an excitement around it. And not just for this movie itself, but for like where people thought Star Wars might go in the future. And not just about this trilogy as well, but just like Lucasfilm's approach to making these films and telling these stories, that it just felt like kind of limitless. And that they were unafraid to be experimental, and I can't remember which. I have a confession. I periodically go back and just like listen to random movie podcasts' reactions to The Last Jedi. <laughs> nice, because it's different. You know, as time goes by, people's opinions change. But it's really nice to kind of get those first reactions again. And I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was Blank Check. Um, they were talking about when they went to like the critic screening. And it was just like stunned silence. Everyone was wowed and couldn't believe how good this movie was. And they were so excited for the general audience to to see it. And then, I know we told people we wouldn't get into it, but they, they were just kind of completely... Um, taken aback by that negative reception from the fandom like it, it just like didn't cross their mind they were like oh my god i can't wait for star wars fans to see this like it's it's amazing you know it's almost too good i, I wish i could like capture that feeling again almost <laughs> um it was it was a really exciting time to be a fan
0: yeah no it was an amazing time and yeah, I remember there being like lots of articles like later in December, like from the same critics who had written really glowing reviews and saying how how excited they were about this movie, like basically expressing that like bafflement with this like backlash from a certain segment of the fandom and trying to like understand it. Yeah, it's so fascinating to see in retrospect because yeah, there was just this huge title shift. And I think a lot of people honestly forget how incredibly positive that first wave of feedback was. And yeah, I think that's why it's nice to actually go back to these reviews and remember that these are like pure reactions to the film from basically kind of a vacuum, you know, because these people were seeing it in critics screenings before the general public had seen it and they weren't being influenced by any like online discourse about the film and it's like merits or demerits. You know, these are very like pure, direct reactions to just the film itself, not the wider conversation around it. And yeah, it makes them quite special pieces of writing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and it's always good to, you know, this should go without saying. A lot of people just didn't, if they, they just didn't like the movie, because that's going to be the case with every single movie that comes out ever. You know. Yeah. Um, I obviously love the Last Jedi. One of my close friends who loved The Force Awakens was kind of disappointed in it. I, I don't know. It, she, she hasn't like really gone into the reasons why because she was just like, "Well, that just wasn't for me." Do you know? But I, as far as I can tell, she's completely unaware of like the larger discussion around it and why it's the worst movie ever. It just wasn't for her, and that's fine. So I think yeah, it's good to remember that as with the positive reactions, like in that vacuum when it first came out, there's also people who were just. You know, and again, maybe it just kind of took a few watches because I think you were in this camp of like being a bit overwhelmed by it almost, right? And needed to check it out a few more times to figure out how you truly felt.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I'll definitely go into that a bit more in a minute when we talk about our reactions to it. Um, Yeah, and there's another review I have here from Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair. And that review is called The Force is Especially Strong in This One which gives you a feel for the general air of positivity. Um, and Richard wrote, Johnson expands the psychology of Star Wars, bringing shade in and moral ambivalence to this mythic tale of dark versus light. No Star Wars has ever made a better case for the Force than this film, which finally mends the damage done by the midichlorian humbug introduced in the disastrous prequel films. <laughs> I could do about the prequel shade, but okay. Mm. Um, one could make the corny assessment that Johnson himself has tapped into this elemental magic, has learned how to tease out its true power, the ways it can manipulate and enrich the film without drowning it in pseudo-religious pretension. That's no easy feat, and for achieving it, The Last Jedi will connect with many a diehard and newbie alike. And, yeah, I, I just like that, and I think that highlights why I also think it's one of the strongest aspects of the film, which is the Force stuff, Particularly that sequence where Luke is explaining the nature of the Force to Ray, who's completely ignorant of it, basically. And yeah, I just feel that's just the perfect sequence. You know, how it just gets right down to the bare bones of what this mythology is. And yeah, it's one of the many, many things I love about the film.
1: Yeah, and I think with the, you know, the, there's that central element of the Ray nobody kind of discovering that she has everything. She, you know, she already has everything that she needs. Um, Yoda even says it. Um, and then there's the broom boy thing at the end. Obviously, like there was this sense of oh, the force is being kind of democratized in a way um, that any anybody can have this power and h- can make something of themselves. Um, that was really exciting as well because everyone comes to like the prequels differently as well. Like, there's not. I don't think. I know that there's a lot of criticism about the whole midichlorian thing i i don't really share in a lot of that but i i, I kind of see where people are coming from well it, it's it's there in the movie itself right the discussion from luke of like the the jedi being in their hubris and being in their kind of ivory tower and and that being a reason for their downfall and how they're so flawed and how he doesn't want to kind of emulate that like it's it's a meta movie in lots of ways as well
0: yeah no I think that's exactly it because obviously this reviewer in particular throws some shade at the prequels but I don't think The Last Jedi does that at all it very like much encompasses like the whole mythology and yeah that's one of the many reasons why I appreciate it because I feel like it shows so much respect to all of Star Wars and not just respect in terms of like deference but respect in the sense that it's taking it seriously you know not in a like oh we're so grim and dark and self-important you know not in that way but just in the sense that it like knows what it's dealing with and it understands how important this mythology is and wants to enrich it in a cool way.
1: Yeah, it started a real conversation about, you know, I think as that first review hinted at that like the the directors of the new Star Wars movies could feel bogged down and kind of trapped by what's come before or they can kind of put um new angles on it and have have fun with it and expand the world. Um so I think that was a big part of the discussion as well because it's obviously there in the movie too in terms of like let the past die and it's time for the Jedi to end and and Ray kind of navigating between Luke and Kylo's perspectives and kind of going forward with her own as well. Um, I don't know, there were a lot of interesting discussions at the time about that.
0: Absolutely. Um, cool, could you read out the next excerpt I have, Kirsty?
1: Yep, this is from Hannah Woodhead in Little White Lies. It helps, of course, that Ryan Johnson is blessed with an exceptionally talented cast, Isaac is given more screen time to be terminally dashing and well-meaning to a fault, while Hamel's return to the saga is treated with just the right amount of reverence. Boyega strikes up an unlikely friendship with spiky newcomer Rose as they set off on a side mission of their own. In a franchise that has always celebrated outsiders and connected families, the easy chemistry and blossoming companionship of this pair is particularly poignant, as is the positioning of Vice Admiral Amelin Holdo as a stern peer of layers. More than ever, the Resistance feels like a fleshed-out organisation in which there are no small roles. It feels like a family. That's really nice.
0: It is really nice. And, yeah, I just really wanted to highlight this because I think it's easy to focus, as a lot of the reviews do, on the island stuff. You know, because that's obviously where a lot of the great like, mythic like, legend of Star Wars stuff comes into it. But I think it is easy to overlook how important all these different elements are to making The Last Jedi work as a film. And yeah, you just can't underrate the cast, I think, in the sequel trilogy as a whole, and especially in The Last Jedi. Like all the actors are so great and Kelly especially is just so wonderful and she has such like warmth and enthusiasm as Rose. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was remarked upon.
1: Yeah. I think about like how Rose has become one of my favorite Star Wars characters ever. That's it's pretty amazing that we just have this like one movie and she just made that much impression.
0: Yeah. No, she's really wonderful and of course she has the most important line in the film.
1: <laughs> Potentially in the entire saga.
0: <laughs> yeah, no it's true and like because you know Star Wars like many fandoms it's very quote heavy. And yeah, (laughs) it's um, very important that you have good lines as a character. So that's another string in Rose's bow. And oh, and I also have another article here. So this is Kristen Lopez in S. But like Ridley in The Force Awakens, the scene stealer of The Last Jedi is another newcomer, Calimari Tran, as Rose. Tran's optimism and enthusiasm make her the perfect conduit for longtime Star Wars fans. Her initial meeting with Finn sees her gushing over him like a rock star, and her blind faith in the Resistance galvanises their mission to find a codebreaker. Tran and Boyega make a fantastic team, and it'd be enough to see an entire film about their adventures. Their trip to a wealthy planet called Canto Bites continues to further the film's social commentary, and anchors the audience to Rose's character, a poor girl who wants to lift people out of their oppressive circumstances. If the narrative of the resistance is too serious, and Ray's plot too hokey, Finn and Rose's storyline is the perfect blend of humour, empathy, and advocacy. And yeah, I just thought that was lovely and again it's nice to see that aspect of the film celebrated. Because yeah, there's so many good qualities to it and yeah, it's nice to see good, passionate writing about it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Every time I watch The Last Jedi I feel like I enjoy Canto Bite more.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is so much fun. And I just love the whole like aesthetic of it. Is the sort of like place I would love to see revisited in like an, a TV series, you know? Like I'd love to see the whole like lovey and codebreaker adventure. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still want that. I'm still beating that drum, you know. That could be amazing. Um, and yeah, like I'll keep that little candle burning. I think as long as there's hope, um, because yeah, it's just awesome. It's a casino planet in Star Wars, and yeah that is just such a cool idea and i love that ryan johnson came up with it and just last jedi is so imaginative guys honestly (laughs) and that's one of the best things about it it's just bursting with all these new ideas for like the different directions in star wars and yeah it's just fabulous
1: yeah i love that Kristen um kind of goes through and acknowledges the arc that rose got on as well like with um i guess it's with finn in that he's her main scene partner but it is an arc of her own in that she meets him when she's like freshly grieving over the sudden loss of her sister, right—the only person that she was connected to biologically within the Resistance—and they'd left their their planet and their parents behind. And so she meets him and immediately grabs onto him. It's like, oh my God, you're the Finn. And then there's that immediate low as she realizes that he's leaving. Um, and you know you have to remember at that point that her sister just died. Serving the resistance and its cause. So, for her to see someone defecting like that is pretty shocking. And then she kind of goes on this journey of her own with him. Um, it's really nuanced and interesting. And I know, as she says, like there's a lot of humor along the way of that um, storyline. I think sometimes people, because something has a lot of humor and it feels lighter than maybe the heavier, grittier plot that's going along side by side, it's kind of shrugged off or not taken as seriously. But there's so much there.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I think humor is underrated, to be honest. <laughs> you gotta have like, humor
1: in a Star Wars movie.
0: Exactly. It's like, come on. Like, I love Star Wars, but like, lots of it is just fundamentally silly, you know. And that's part of what I love about it, you know. Like, it's just a bit goofy and it's a bit childlike, you know. It's this big fantasia in space, basically. And I don't know. I I, I always find it strange that people try to like reject that or deny that. Because to me, it's a big part of why I love Star Wars so much, you know, it's, yeah, it's like the, you need that levity, basically, otherwise it just gets too bogged down, its own self-importance, and it just becomes really tedious, you know, I don't want to be here when Star Wars, like, takes itself, like, completely seriously, and is, like, completely straight-faced all the time, <laughs> you know, I need jokes, I need, like, some, like, fun side plots and stuff, you know, mm. it's important. Um... Okay, so could you read out the next excerpt from my bezzy mate, Peter Bradshaw, <laughs> of The Guardian, Kirsty? Yes. Thank you.
1: Uh, an explosive thrill ride of galactic proportions. People have so much fun with these headlines. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Which brings us to Kylo Ren himself, superbly played by Adam Driver. He is now a wounded, damaged figure, and he insinuates himself like a sensually predatory Satan into our consciousness in a series of dreamlike, cross-cutting dialogue sequences that are the most successful part of the film. What does Kylo Ren want? As ever, the close-ups on Driver's face are gorgeous. He is never the Easter Island statue of hardness that it is possible to misremember. He is tremulous, unsure of himself like an unhappy teenager, and his mouth seems almost on the point of trembling with tears that breathy resonant voice is unmistakable even from behind a Neo-Vader mask. This is a villain who seems troubled about the mantle of evil on his shoulders and again there are surprises in store about what Ren has in mind for the future and what his past relationship with his Uncle Luke actually was.
0: <laughs> I love it so much. I oh can't remember gosh. which
1: review it was. I thought it might have been the Peter Bradshaw one but I guess not. Someone was talking about the exaggerated rouge of driver's lips. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that definitely sounds like something that Peter Bradshaw would write. Um, I don't think that's in anywhere in his last Jedi review, because okay. I'm quite confident I extracted all the Kylo Ren commentary. Um, but yeah, like, come on, we've all got to love this, right? It's just so effusive, and it's just so detailed. Because what I love about Peter Bradshaw's writing is, like, when he really likes something, he really zooms in on, like, the tiniest details. Like, none of these other reviews focus on, like, the trembling of Adam Driver's lips, guys.
1: But it's key to the (laughs) (laughs) movie.
0: It's very important. Exactly. And Peter Bradshaw understands this. Like most of the others, talk about like the macro picture, you know, which is fair enough. I understand why. I love this detail-focused approach. I feel that Peter Bradshaw in Another Life would be writing meth on Tumblr, but we're not in that world, and he's instead the film reviewer for The Guardian. So good for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, it, not to generalise too much, but I do appreciate that that's coming from a male critic because all of this stuff, and we joke about it, but it's really important to raise arc. And, and Ray's perspective of what's unfolding and how her understanding of the different characters is changing, and all of that is is key to that. You know, these are deliberate choices that Ryan and his team made. Um, I remember in when the critics started seeing the movie and they were getting those first reactions on Twitter, and they they're not really supposed to spoil anything, but it became pretty clear early on that people like who had never looked at the Ray and Kylo Ren relationship like that we're doing so and we're really excited about it and people were even like m- you know making it clear that there was going to be a shirtless scene with kylo ren and people were like shocked you know no one expected that
0: <laughs> oh my god it's so wonderful i just remember it being like you could have pinched me you know i felt like i was dreaming some of the things that came out from those very early responses so I don't know if you remember Kirsty but there was like a post on Tumblr from someone who saw it very early and like the two things they said so that people would know they weren't lying when they said they'd seen it they said Kylo Ren is shirtless and Luke drinks green milk or something like that anyway Mm. Um, and obviously those two details were chosen because they were so random and so weird (laughs) that they wouldn't just be made up you know (laughs) by someone Um, and yeah they were both true and I love it
1: yeah, and not just that he's shirtless, but it's only Ray who sees him. It's for her benefit.
0: Exactly. Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Kirsty. Like I giggle and I'm a bit silly about these things, but this is all very deliberate. The film is like this for a reason. And like we I haven't mentioned it yet, but there's been some really interesting information coming out because Ryan Johnson had like a private conversation with an author on Twitter. Is it Soraya Wilson? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like he's been talking about his intent with The Last Jedi. And I don't think there was ever like, any doubt among our quarters of the fandoms. Ryan has spoken about these things before in various ways. But he's completely clear about like the romantic nature of those scenes, you know, and how he was trying to ramp up the sexual tension with the two characters. And, yeah, I, I find it ridiculous that anyone would dispute that, just based purely on the evidence that's on screen, to be honest. But... Yeah. It's just nice to have that extra layer of confirmation.
1: This is the thing, it's always I'm always up for hearing Ryan talk about this movie and his choices around it, you know, that's always a privilege. But um I do think people maybe attach too much importance to the people who are kind of willfully ignoring this stuff because no amount of evidence is gonna make them change their mind. And you just yeah. have to kind of stop worrying about what other people are reading into this movie that's different from from your reading of it because it might just be that people don't like those things so they don't want to think about it and don't want to acknowledge it i think that's kind of what it is so they're entitled to dislike it just we're entitled to love it
0: exactly yeah it's free bold. um <laughs> sorry that sounds very blunt and blase <laughs> but you know what i mean. <laughs> Um. Yeah, and I would just move on, because I've just realised we spent a surprisingly long time talking about these quotes. I probably chose too many, but that's fine, so it's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so the next one is from Michael Schwago in Film Comment, and he's talking about Luke's performance. Bearded, sunken-eyed and weathered, heftier and more muscular than in his youth. Very flattering. Hamill has become a magnificent camera subject. Always an underrated actor, he wears Luke's legend lightly as he matches Ridley's fierceness and commitment, body and soul. Just as Ray's internal confusions pour through the urgent expressions on Ridley's open face, Hamill's grizzled looks and scowling mien convey a self-emoliating intensity so yeah that's very very high praise i think this person's clearly very impressed by hamill's performance which is awesome and i I also think that hamill gives a really tremendous performance in the last jedi and i know that you in particular wanted to see if we could find a review that expressed that kirsty because obviously you were so impressed
1: yeah i don't know if i ever talked about this on the podcast probably because we've had endless hours talking about this but um i was a bit worried about how mark was going to do with this movie before it came out that was one of my chief (laughs) concerns of it i was like i don't know if he could do it because i haven't obviously i I hadn't seen him act in this kind of role for a long time and obviously luke is very different now and you know that's not anything to do with how mark himself feels about it because he's a professional but i was just i was i'm I'm just kind of curious to see how it goes and, and and what he and Ryan will be able to do with this character, and I was just completely blown away. Like, it's the best performance of his career, no doubt. He should be so proud of it.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. Like, it's so textured, and he has to plumb really deep in The Last Jedi, because obviously Luke has been through a lot by the t- events of this film. And I think you also can't understate how... Hamill's performance in The Last Jedi he's not just expressing how Luke is at this point in time he has to like express the history of the character you know because also you get this idea that he was so proud and that he was this like golden shining hero and then it all just went terribly terribly wrong and now he's suffering from the knowledge of his own inadequacy basically you know his own failure to help his nephew And that is so tough to do, you know, when you don't have that storytelling material to get your character to that point, it all has to come from your physicality and from your delivery of these lines. That's a really big ask. And I think Mark Hamill really excelled. So yeah, he deserves all the praise for what he did in the film.
1: Yeah, and it's also amazing how much humour they're able to inject it with too. You know, even as Luke is at this critical point, and he's filled with self-doubt and kind of loathing and regret there's still there are a lot of funny moments and yeah I just I think that's wonderful that you can have that there too
0: yeah no he is really funny like I love seeing him with R2 again like and how that like light comes into his eyes again and how he's all like "Hey, my friend and yeah, it's really nice because he's able to switch between like the moods without it seeming like phony. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just a really great performance. Um okay cool and then just to round us out um, this is not quite a review this is more like an assessment of how sexy the film was because <laughs> <laughs> this was its own like subgenre of Le- Last Jedi review to be honest there's also like a wonderful list in Vulture called The Ten Horniest Things in Star Wars The Last Jedi which I would love to read to people in full but um, we just don't have time so I'll have to <laughs> spare people that um, but yeah could you read out the excerpt from the Joanna Robinson piece Kirsten? yeah
1: actually I think it was the author of that vulture article is it carl buchanan who was waxing lyrical about kylo's oiled up bare chest <laughs> in those first few days so
0: while you're reading i'll search the article <laughs> and see if i can find the oiled bear chest bit. okay well i remember
1: it from twitter at least
0: how the last jedi
1: became the sexiest star wars movie yet there's plenty of sexual innuendo in the last jedi before ray leaves act two to seek out her darker half Kylo's gleaming bare chest aside, you can go ahead and consult your friendly neighborhood Freudian to analyze the imagery of swinging lightsabers, the rivulets of water on Kylo's black leather-gloved fist, or the dark, seaweed slick cavern Ray finds herself irresistibly drawn into as she tries to grapple with a powerful thing that was woken inside her. <laughs> Love it.
0: Um, yeah. I love it it's a great piece of writing I remember being so excited to see this and again this sort of thing was like another pinch me moment you know it's like what big outlets are talking about this stuff this is so weird but so wonderful um it was just a great time it was really great because
1: if people you know we kind of went into this with our TFA stuff but like one of the reasons we started our podcast in the first place because we were like is anyone else seeing this uh (laughs) we've got to talk about this and obviously the last jedi opens it up in a big way in terms of that relationship but it was you know it was forming tentatively in the force awakens and yet there were like every well there were one or two reviews that i read that kind of acknowledged it but people weren't really going there with the force awakens i guess because they were still worried about them turning out to be related they did not want to hedge their bets too far but like it, it was it was very satisfying in this moment to be like finally this is the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was vindication. And in the notes for our last episode, I did actually have a link to an article. I think it was in the Atlantic, although don't quote me on that. And it was Fifty Shades of Ray <laughs> oh. <laughs> because puns. Um, and it was basically about Raylo fan fiction. I think this article was published in like May 2016, so only a few months after the Force Awakens came out. And obviously, at that point, it was basically the angle of, oh, look at this weird thing the fans are focusing on. They've got really interest in this relationship, and yeah, there's some like glimmers there so that we can see. But overall, it's a little bit odd, isn't it? Um, and yeah, it was like analysing it like some strange scientific phenomenon, you know, that needed an explanation. And yeah, like that sort of history is there when you think about how all people like us received these articles like Joanna Robinson's because, yeah, suddenly it was like other people seeing what had been plain to others for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, unfortunately, I did search that um, 10 horniest things in Star Wars The Last Jedi article. I couldn't find any references to Adam Driver's oiled chest. There are, like, references to his chest, but not his oiled chest.
1: I think it was on Twitter when the movie first came out, he was like making comments about yeah and obviously like not being too spoilery with it
0: of course yeah yeah i think that was actually quite a nice thing for them to talk about the whole shirtless scene because to us it meant a lot but to like any like average joe reading that they'd be like oh that's a bit weird colorado appears shirtless huh whereas <laughs> <laughs> for us it's like this means everything i mean it did become
1: a meme Do you remember yeah, like after the movie really <laughs>
0: I'm still a bit confused by that. Is it basically people saying they think Adam Driver is a strange body type? It's a bit weird to me how some people have latched onto it.
1: Very early on, it was obviously like cam rips. So mm, there yep. were like weird proportions, I think, that people were like, uh uh-huh, he looks funny. And you know the high-waisted pants, it's like... But it's also just that like he's just stood there. <laughs> like, Ray turns around, it's like, oh... like it is quite funny isn't it like I think even Ryan's talked about that like there's this interplay of like awkwardness and the genuine tension between these characters but it also is just like funny that you know they have this thing that they can't control and it's gonna manifest in weird awkward ways sometimes where they're like in their bedroom (laughs) it is supposed to kind of evoke this like adolescent awkwardness
0: (laughs) yeah it does so extremely well Um, Okay, cool. So we've obviously gone through the various reviews um, that came out. And that was actually really fun because, yeah, as I said, we didn't have time to talk about them at the time. And yeah, it's good to catch up on some of that writing now. Um, But yeah, let's move into how we felt when The Last July came out. Obviously, we had extensive coverage of our feelings on The Last Jedi at the time that the movie did come out in the end of 2017. So if you're interested, you can always go back to those episodes. But yeah, for you, Kirsty, what's just a quick summary of your feelings at that time when you saw it for that very first viewing? I
1: think I just, I loved it so much. And I, I was just, you know, I wanted to keep watching it because I felt like every time I saw it, there was something new to take in. Um, and all these various subplots and character arcs and everything seemed... uh, You know, you could get this impression from the movie and Ryan's talked about it in his process that, like, everything was intentional and he worked from the point where every character needed to be challenged and given their own arc and the different subplots kind of interplay. So there is this, like, interplay of themes throughout the movie and, and each arc it just complements the others and i think it just works together so well um yeah i just i just wanted to keep watching it it made me really happy i saw it twice opening night and then i think we went again a couple days after that and i probably saw it at least 8 times in the cinema
0: amazing Yes, like I obviously I wasn't with you because yeah, being on a different continent is kind of problematic in that respect. But you and a few other Star Wars fans all got together and like made a big event of it, didn't you?
1: Yeah, it was the folks at Meta Machina and a few other friends. Yeah, we all got together and and had a lot of fun. And I think you can you can hear some of us talking about it on our reaction. I can't remember what number it is, but if you search around and um, the time of the release date, it'll obviously be there. And, and yeah, like just kind of breaking down the different subplots and everything. It took us a long time to kind of tease out those various character arcs, right? We, we had several episodes devoted to each part of it because there was just so much to go over and kind of speculate about where things could go next. We've had episodes that we've devoted to like the similarities in it to, to things like Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, right? Like those, those things seemed clear. And to be fair, I think we teased them out from The Force Awakens as well, there is this obvious Byronic hero archetype and, and Ray is the the counterpart to that. Um but Ryan really went for it and um just like when we were talking last week of Letter Never Sent, that natural kind of wild landscape of Act 2 with you know the rain and her hair whipping around, like there was such an atmosphere to it. Um it almost felt like you were watching it a period drama.
0: Yeah. No, exactly. And I think it was just this amazing like genre fusion in some ways. You know, and only in subtle ways, you know, it's obviously not like steampunk or <laughs> something like that. But yeah, in terms of the like narrative it was doing and the themes it was exploring, it really did just feel so fresh for what Star Wars was and yeah, like I, I just loved it. Um, but my experience of seeing it for the first time was quite unique and uh, I, I, ske- I, I hate ske- that I have to keep on saying this because I always feel like, oh I went to the premiere. <laughs> but it's important because it contextualises how it was for me to see it for the first time because I saw it for the first time at the European premiere at the Royal Albert Hall which was an incredible experience but it was also very strange and a bit isolating because it meant I saw it a few days before my friends saw it. And obviously, being so deep in this fandom, that meant I had a lot to process having seen this film, but not really being able to t- talk about it to my friends. I can't remember what me and you agreed at the time, Kirsty, in terms of what I would tell you. I think I maybe just told you that it was good for Reylo. <laughs> Um, and then just let you like go off and experience it for yourself without going into like deep spoilers, because yeah, like it was just a really amazing. Experience to watch it in that way, but it was also just overwhelming, you know, and a lot to take in because I didn't have anyone to talk to about it, which feels bizarre because I have a podcast, but I didn't want to break down every detail of the film of Kirsty before you'd seen it for yourself. Yeah, like it just meant I had all these thoughts about this film, which was just so much, you know, in so many ways. I had to like process them all by myself and that was a lot and it kind of really settled for me when I saw it in subsequent viewings. So like I knew I liked it the first time, but it was just like more than I could have ever expected kind of and or I just sound all incoherent now. But yeah, does that make any sense? (laughs) Yeah, it was
1: kind of dreamlike, right? Because especially, you know, if you think about like we'd been reading fan fiction about the Force Bond for two years. And then to see it actually play out on screen it was like oh my god one of us could have written, could have written this like not that is not a, a way to disparage what ryan did he is an amazingly talented writer and, and brought this to the screen but it was like oh my god this is like in line with what we hoped would happen it was such a weird feeling to see that playing out and yeah of course you want to share it with your friends like that's really what it's about so um, I was really happy for you that you got that experience, obviously, like once in a lifetime. But yeah, I, I do think it was a bit like, oh, well, you had to go by yourself and then you couldn't talk to anyone else about it because you saw it before the rest of us. So Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was just really weird. <laughs> um, and yeah, the other important thing to say about the experience is seeing it for the first time was that it was a real leap of faith. Is like, if anyone's seen the last crusade i think it is the indiana jones film so there's like a a leap of faith thing where he has to step on what are basically invisible pillars because they're like hidden and i honestly felt a bit like that when i went in to see the last jedi because we'd had no real spoilers for it you know like we had for the force awakens because with the force awakens we basically knew the whole plot (laughs) ahead of going in to see the film at least that was my experience i know it wasn't yours kirsty um, so with *The Force Awakens*, I was like relatively relaxed. I knew what I was expecting, and that allowed me to focus on like smaller details relatively early. Whereas with *The Last Jedi*, because I didn't know anything solid about the plot before going in to see it, there were some like specific scenes we knew about, but we didn't know the overall like way in which the story would play out. You know, and how the characters would be handled and yeah just seeing it all it was just amazing but it was just so so much and yeah I think that's just my initial impression it was a lot but in a really good way
1: yeah I think I was a bit of a spoiler junkie even right up till the last couple of days like I didn't want to put you in the position where I was like tell me the plot of the movie but you know, remember the visual dictionary sections from that had started leaking in those past yeah. last two weeks so I did know about like the force connection and that was a big like Okay, if I know that I I know that I'm going to get something interesting here at the very least. So um it was just kind of down to what that would mean for the characters, but I you know it was obviously exciting to hear that that was going to be a part of it. Um I do actually remember, do you remember like I can't remember if it was before the movie came out or just like immediately afterwards in terms of like what people thought it could mean for the story going forward. People were a bit freaking out about Kylo becoming supreme leader.
0: Yes, I remember that really well.
1: <laughs> Cuz I was a bit taken aback. I could I kind of understand, but I was also like, well, it's the second movie.
0: Yeah, no, I remember lots of panic over that. I actually remember that starting really quite early because in one of the trailers you see like the overhead shot of Kylo on crates. Right. Like walking into the base, which is at the very, very end of the film when he is supreme leader. And obviously, people by that point, they didn't know like the plot as such, but they knew the the rough order in which the planets would appear. and people knew that crate was at the end of the film. So basically, they were able to deduce that if Kylo was leading a squad of stormtroopers on crate, that sort of like shot down the idea that he was going to be redeemed by the end of the film essentially yeah and yeah i remember that causing lots of conversations and people trying to explain that away and being like oh no it's not actually at the end of the film and so on and so forth um and yeah obviously some people were upset even after seeing the film and seeing the context but i i, I think I, I was a little bit like oh i don't like seeing him do that after we've had all this amazing stuff with him and ray <laughs> you know that did unsettle me a bit when i yeah. saw it for the first time to be honest um but yeah i think the more you see it, and the more you like understand it in relation to the bigger picture, you know. And I think especially that moment where Kylo and Rey see each other for the last time, you know, like that really like grasping look on his face, where you can tell he knows he's fucked up, mm. and he knows firmly that he's made the wrong choice, but it's too late at that particular moment in time. You know, when you really focus on that stuff, you're like, yeah, he's still supreme leader, but it's fine. <laughs>
1: You could easily, I love The Last Jedi, I love the choices that Ryan made with that, but you could also, and I'm sure he considered this as well, or at least, like, it was aware that it was a possibility for the character's arcs, that you could have redeemed him at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. You would just yep. have to introduce a different kind of, of stake, I guess, like, it, you know, stuff that happened with Snoke would have had to have gone differently. Um, it just would have been a different story, but of course you, you could redeem a villain at this point the setup for the next movie would just be totally different yeah i think it was it was done really well in the context of the the whole trilogy now with hindsight i'm less convinced but that's that's not ryan's fault
0: <laughs> yeah exactly i think ryan left a really enticing setup for the next film to build on and yeah it's not his fault if it wasn't followed through but yeah it was just really wonderful and It really coalesced for me with those subsequent viewings. I probably saw it a similar number of times to you, Kirsty, and I remember lots of excited texting back and forth, being like, oh, I'm going in to see it again! It's like, "Oh, me too! Um, And usually not quite in sync, because obviously time difference, but yeah, it was just such a fun, fun time. And those first few weeks after the film came out, when it was just pure excitement and enthusiasm for it, that's one of my favourite memories of fandom. Yeah, I love that. And I'm really glad we actually have lots of podcasts from that time. So it's basically like all that enthusiasm and excitement just bottled up for the historical record.
1: Yeah. And yeah, that it was just still so so fresh. Like I was thinking about... Actually, I haven't listened to it in a long time, obviously, since it first came out. But that, that Kylo episode we did, where we did go into a lot of the stuff on crate between him and Luke. And how that was quite painful to watch as you know we love both of those characters so much and we desperately hoped that things would kind of go from there and like be resolved in a more a peaceful way for both of them um because you know kylo's made his choice at that point as you say but it's he's in a lot of emotional pain and hurt and like obviously feels like betrayed by Ray's choice just as she feels betrayed by him and then luke kind of compounds that and almost triggers him and there's so much interesting stuff going on um and yeah because it's the the darker middle chapter there's so much left unresolved but it still ends on like a hopeful note with with leia and ray interacting like that so leia regains her optimism as well because that was a that was also a, a huge factor in the movie that leia briefly loses her hope and that seems unthinkable doesn't it but again it's about showing these characters as human as possible and that they've been through a lot and they're going to have moments of doubt and and failure. Um, but there's always hope for the future.
0: Exactly. And that's one of the aspects of the film that really stands out to me because, you know, you do sometimes see people talk about how like depressing it is, you know, to see Luke all defeated and stuff. But That's not the impression of Luke I leave the film with. You know, obviously that's a very important part of his arc, but that's not his final destination. The whole point of the film is that he regains that hope and he regains that, like, looking out onto the horizon, you know, that, like, belief in the future, you know, and that there is, like, a way through this. And that's the beautiful thing about it because, I don't know, it's just boring if a character has that all the way through consistently and it's never challenged or it's never, like, taken from them, you know. That it gives weight to the whole thing the fact that luke was this hopeful person had that hope seriously challenged to the point where he was losing it altogether but then it's restored for him you know and by the end he is in that like heroic inspiring role once more you know and that's just such a beautiful wonderful arc to me and yeah it is a shame not everyone sees it that way but obviously everyone owns their own experience of the film and i don't want to dictate to anyone
1: yeah, I think I cry almost every time I see it at, at Luke's triumphant return, you know. Um, and the fact that it does make its way to Canto by it and those children are inspired by it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. So yeah, we've obviously both rewatched the film, Kirsty, relatively recently. And obviously that's not anything unusual. We watch the film quite often. <laughs> um but yeah like did anything change for you you know watching it now like does it still like inspire all those like warm fuzzies as it did when it first came out
1: it does it's one of my favorite star wars movies maybe my favorite although yeah you know rankings fluctuate (laughs) um yeah it holds up so well it's such a beautiful rich fun film you know like you you could watch this movie over and over and, and find something new to enjoy you know the the performances are just incredible
0: yeah no I still love it you know like I really don't have too much to say because I feel like you know obviously it did take a few viewings for my feelings on the film to coalesce but I think once they really coalesce they haven't altered that much since you know like end of 2017 start of 2018 you know they've been pretty consistent and It just holds up because it's so well realized and well executed you know in almost all respects and i just love it to bits you know all the different aspects of it come together so well i love those characters i love their journeys i love the performances everything is just this wonderful blend of star wars goodness and yeah it always makes me happy when i revisit it because Like regardless of like any conversations about it, the film stands on its own, you know, and it's this beautiful piece of art that's really joyful and powerful and beautiful and for me it's just the template of what Star Wars should aspire to be. So obviously I don't want everything to be like The Last Jedi, you know, everything should be like distinct and have its own identity. But it's a template in the way that It, like, dares to do something a little bit different, you know, and it dares to, like, go outside the mould. And, yeah, I just really love it for that. It's really good.
1: Yeah, I think it kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier about how, kind of, the critics were receiving it at the time as, like, almost like a thesis statement on where Star Wars is now and where it could be in future, and how Ryan managed to have a lot of fun with Star Wars but also kind of engage with it critically on that matter level. Um, and not in a way that felt like, you know, overly self important or anything. It was just like, you know, acknowledging that this is a long running saga and lots of, lots has changed. These characters will have gone through so much and it's kind of natural for them to have their ups and downs. And, and obviously you would also want that, as you said, like you need that conflict and challenge for the characters for, for us to have a story in the first place. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I get what you're saying that you don't want everything to be like the last jedi in future but uh you want to be challenged by what you're seeing in a way
0: yeah exactly and i feel like ryan in the way he approached it he like approached it and had a lot of freedom in how he approached it you know and that's what i want because i don't want like the people writing or directing Wars movies to be too focused on what the viewers might think you know and oh how will the fandom receive this you know like I think those should be right at the bottom in terms (laughs) of priorities for what creators are thinking about when they're telling stories because I think often fans they don't really have the best grasp on what they want even (laughs) you know and that's even true of me you know for a lot of like the properties I love and enjoy the most you know usually the best stories are the most unexpected stories and I think that takes like a really original, daring approach, and yeah, Ryan really brought that.
1: Mm. Do
0: you want to talk about
1: kind of revisiting the movie in the context of having the whole sequel trilogy now? Like,
0: yeah, let's do it. Um... <sighs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> end of episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> um yeah do you perhaps want to start kirsty like so how has like having the whole thing like is that recontextualized things for you is it taken anything away at all
1: it hasn't taken anything away um Good. because i i enjoy the movie by itself and also as like a, a great companion to the force awakens you know and a great companion to the whole saga to be honest i feel like it's the natural evolution of it at least it is for me in terms of where i saw the characters and the story going um I think I guess if 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 you have to keep the rise of Skywalker in mind in terms of like how things are unfolding in this part of the story then yeah there is a little point of kind of confusion and I have a lot of questions around like questions but also I know that the answers aren't really going to be there because you knew at this time when Ryan was you know developing the character of Snoke and developing the concept of Rey as a nobody and the idea the idea that Luke and Leia would know at this point that Rey was a Palpatine it's just clearly not in the text so maybe they'll be able to go back and kind of overlay things but in terms of appreciating the last jedi and the writer's intent at that time then you know it's it's not there and it's okay to kind of acknowledge that and just enjoy it for what it is um so yeah there's all this stuff around Snoke and and his <laughs> level of sentience and awareness of what's going on I guess and you know a lot of questions about how Ray Nobody and Ray Palpatine are supposed to fit together and kind of Luke Luke and Leia are as players in that and of course there's the whole Rose thing that she's a fully fleshed out realized character in this movie with an arc and she's incredibly important to Finn and then that kind of just gets dropped a bit it's a bit weird so i can't pretend that those things aren't part of the story obviously like i've seen the rise of skywalker i know where the story goes but when i'm watching this movie it doesn't impact my enjoyment of it because i know that wasn't the intent at this point um i just in terms of I, i'm curious because for people who are experiencing it differently because like I, I was reading some tweets from someone recently who had actually missed the last jedi had watched The Force Awakens and then went straight to The Rise of Skywalker. And they loved it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, they, they thought that those two movies worked really well together. So I guess, yeah, you know, if you weren't attached to Rose or Ray no- Nobody and you just had no real idea about what happens in The Last Jedi, maybe the story just flows better, but... I wouldn't want to give up the last Jedi so.
0: Yeah. Um. No that's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Like I do wonder how like the Rey and Kylo stuff would digest for someone who hasn't seen the last Jedi to be honest because I feel like obviously I know Tross isn't the most elegant execution of that relationship, but it definitely builds on, you know, like the force connection stuff because there's like the little seeds of that in the Force Awakens. But they're really taken forward in a big way in The Last Jedi, Mm. and then Tross builds on that.
1: I guess if you'd already picked up on it in The Force Awakens, it wouldn't be too much of a shock to see that that's where it had gone. Yeah, But if if it came out of nowhere for you, it would be a bit strange.
0: (laughs) Yeah, gosh, that's so interesting. I'd like to get inside that person's brain and experience that, just to have an alternative perspective.
1: And I wonder Um, now if they've watched The Last Jedi and how they feel about (laughs) it and how the movies fit together for them.
0: That's a really good question. Yeah, no, I find these questions of perception, you know, so interesting in terms of, like, how you and I, like, perceive something like The Last Jedi now, given that we have Tross, like, versus, you know, someone seeing it maybe in, like, 20 years time, you know, when they're completely detached from all the conversation that was going on as this trilogy was coming out And for them, it's just there. You know, that is the Star Wars sequel trilogy, and these are the stories being told. You know, I do wonder if when you don't have that, like, awareness of, you know, like, all the passionate debate about who Snoke was and that sort of nonsense and stuff. And, yeah, like, if it would just, like, work better, you know, because you could just kind of accept it for what it is.
1: Your perception of the story would just be... It would be different, because... There are explanations in the rise of Skywalker in terms of like where Snoke came from and why he mattered or didn't, and um, how you know you know Kylo has his whole like um, what does he say? Like they sold you to protect you, and like he kind of has this explanation. I can't remember exactly. I'll have to, we're going to rewatch the movie next week, so I'll find out then. But he kind of smooths <laughs> over what happens with their scene in the Last Jedi, so it like technically fits in. And it's supposed to make sense. But I find that a lot of these things... If, if you take them for face value... Like, okay, that's what he meant in that moment. It, under, it would undermine their importance within The Last Jedi. So just like Kylo choosing to kill Snoke... And, and become supreme leader um it's dramatically undermined by the fact that snoat was nothing but a puppet for palpatine and palpatine immediately appears in the beginning of the rise of skywalker and he's the big bad again you know so it's like things might technically make sense and they fill it in in like a sense of like oh here's a wikipedia extract to explain that but in terms of like what it actually means for the characters and the themes of the story it doesn't quite work for me
0: yeah No, I think that's fair. But yeah, like I think about how I know that when Return of the Jedi came out, people were obviously very angry about Luke and Leia being brother and sister, Mm. for example, you know, because at the time that felt so hackneyed and shoehorned in and had like no build up at all, basically. (laughs) Which is all true, to be honest, when you look at it objectively. But obviously by this point, that has been so... Like absorbed into the mythology of Star Wars, you know, it's so taken for granted that Luke and Leia are twin twin siblings, that it doesn't feel weird, you know, watching that movie, even though there isn't the setup for it. Mm. That just makes me curious about how it will play out. Like, if we do get like that extra reinforcement I suppose, <laughs> of some of Tross's perhaps more weird and dubious decisions, is I feel like, okay, raise a Palpatine you've got to just like go with it right guys You like you can't act like it didn't happen forever you know because i think that makes it worse if they do that
1: i think they potentially could because now they have the whole race skywalker thing so if yeah. you just kind of call her that from now on and and go with that as like well she chose her family then you can focus on that rather than like where she actually came from yeah it depends what stories they choose to tell yeah
0: yeah, it's going to be an interesting question, I think, for them to come up with a solution to. But I'm also very conscious of the fact that I'm strained greatly from The Last Jedi at this point and just going into trials. But We
1: can't not. That's the thing. Like The stories are supposed to tie together, so it's natural yeah. to kind of figure out. Because like, for some people, they fit together perfectly, and that's great for them. Well, you know, I wish they did for me. But you know, the reality is that these movies were made by different directors and writers, and it seems like they didn't see entirely eye to eye in terms of where these characters came from and where they were going and, and who should be featured prominently in the narrative. Like it honestly never crossed my mind that Rose wouldn't be a main character in the next movie. Cause she was such a presence there and, and Kelly gave such an amazing performance yeah, and that, and that she was clearly incredibly important to Finn. You know, when they kiss at the end, I, I completely took it for granted that, that would be followed up in The Rise of Skywalker. I thought we'd get them kissing again. <laughs> yeah. And and, you know, the idea of that of a year has passed, like I I thought, you know, their relationship would have evolved at that point and that would be explored as part of the story, but it just wasn't.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one of the aspects of The Last Jedi that unfortunately Tross has altered for me slightly, you know, the Finn and Row stuff. Because, obviously, those characters, they have very much their own storyline in The Last Jedi. You know, and they have their very clearly articulated motives and their own, like, evol- like journeys as they evolve and grow together. Um, and then in The Rise of Skywalker, it obviously is completely disgraceful to Rose because it just doesn't use her. And with Finn, it just doesn't... It seems a bit all over the place with him. You know, it doesn't know how to use him properly. And he definitely doesn't have his own clearly articulated arc in that film and that's just so disappointing you know having that awareness that those stories don't really come to anything in the end Mm. you know and that it always makes me feel a bit wistful I think watching The Last Jedi because those characters are left in such an interesting place by the end of that film and Yeah, as you just said, it's not followed up at all. And it's like, oh, come on! (laughs) Like You had all this groundwork there to work with and you just don't use any of it, JJ. What's wrong (laughs) with you? Yeah, it's just very annoying.
1: I feel like I'm stating the obvious here, but I think a major problem with the sequel trilogy in general is that you have too many characters.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, You
1: know, it's, it's clear because you... Starting from the point where you have the legacy characters. So that's the original trio, which, you know, they're the main characters of the original trilogy. So you have those characters there. They all need to have their own arcs. They all need to have a central part in each of the three movies of the sequel trilogy. And then you have the new characters, the core cast. And then you have all of these new characters being introduced through each of the new movies as well. It's, It's like there's too much and it's it's not about like whether you know I don't enjoy each of those new characters I do um but as we'll we'll get into it with the rise of Skywalker I enjoy the concepts of each of those new characters but in terms of like what they're actually given to do in the narrative it's like was this really a must like what's where's the necessity here what what are you adding with this character um Because I just think it ultimately came down to there were way too many arcs to juggle and tie up, and because you have that interplay of like the legacy characters and all of the new characters having their dynamics with each other and those legacy characters, there's like conflicts between how the arcs resolve. Um, And I know I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's like it is kind of impossible for us to talk about the Last Jedi without Ross, but um, it's just so much more complicated as a story than the other two trilogies because of how many characters are introduced over over the course of the story um and i I think that's like a it is a problem as wonderful as each of the characters are by themselves in terms of how it all wraps up um i think it was always going to be a a tough one to make that satisfying
0: yeah i think that's very true (sighs) So, like, I feel very conflicted about it because I love Oscar Isaac and I love his performance as Poe. He's wonderful. He's like very charming, very charismatic and he gets like a great arc in The Last Jedi. But I honestly feel like if J.J. had stuck to his guns in The Force Awakens and Poe had died after getting Finn to Jakku, as had been the original intent with that film then I think the subsequent two films would have had much more breathing space to tell the story of the remaining characters again I feel bad saying that because Oscar is really great you know and I don't want to lose that performance yeah you're right there are just so many characters and to be honest The Rise of Skywalker makes it even worse by bringing in loads more new people that's what I mean yeah Yeah, and it's just like that's the last thing you need to do right now (laughs) because the existing characters have so much going on between them already that you really don't need all these new relatively prominent characters to come into the mix as well I'm of the opinion that Rise of Skywalker did not necessarily even need a new big bad. I think Hux could have fit the bill if he was written in the right way. But obviously, J.J. felt different. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you know you know, I'm with you on that. But we'll get, we'll get into it next time.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: A lot of our listeners, well, back in the day, I don't know whether they've they've stuck with us, but a lot of people liked The Rise of Skywalker. And that's, you know, I want to make clear, we're going to talk about it. We're going to rewatch the movie and talk about it as the next installment of the series. Um, You know, there's stuff to enjoy in that film. You know, I don't hate it across the board. And I think we have our frustrations because we just feel like a lot of time was spent on things that, didn't really need to be spent on and there's just kind of some strange choices and um i I don't want to alienate anyone who loves that that movie because i I wish i did too like that's what it comes down to like i wish in my mind it fit together really well with the force awakens the last jedi because we loved this story so much and we love these characters um it it meant a lot to us so we're going to go into it and we're going to talk about you know the things that we enjoy and the things that frustrate us and the things that confuse us because the plot of that movie makes me feel stupid. <laughs> um
0: it shouldn't, it shouldn't. <laughs> well, I just don't know, what you, very mean, confusing, I know exactly what you mean. But we'll,
1: yeah. we'll we'll talk about it and we'll, you know, we'll be as honest as we can like like always, but you know, for anyone who really loves that movie and it's natural I think at this point to probably feel quite defensive about it because that it has been so heavily criticized and if it's important to you, you don't want to listen to people criticizing it you know that's probably not very fun so I would totally understand if people want to sit that one out
0: yeah exactly and I think what we'll do is we'll like basically put a message at the beginning explaining that obviously we don't have the most positive feelings about the film but we really really don't want to take away anyone's enjoyment of the rise of skywalker and like honestly I feel like on the spectrum of feelings about rise of skywalker like, there's a lot of enjoying it to be honest You know, like, I I have serious reservations about a lot of it, which obviously I've talked about a great deal, and I'm not going to reiterate them right now, so that's for next time. But overall, I can really enjoy it, you know, and especially I can enjoy it when I detach it from the sequel trilogy as a whole, you know, when I just see it as its own thing. You know, I think the main reason I get really het up about it, and I, like, get very passionate in how I speak about it, is because of the how it affects the other movies and what i felt those movies were doing like that's what really gets me fired up i suppose um but in its own right there's a hell of a lot i enjoy in that film and there's a reason why like gifs and images and clips from the rise of skywalker are still like gosh how long's it been like over a year later all over my twitter feed for example you know, people have taken a lot away from that movie that they appreciate and that they find value in. So I think neither of us is interested in just like laying into it, you know, and just like saying, oh, here's all the ways in which we hate Tross. You know, that's not of interest to us. We are going to be critical, but hopefully we're also going to find things to enjoy in it despite that. So, yeah, So that's unfair, Kirsty. Yeah, I
1: think it's a movie that had a lot of potential. You know, there's a lot of interesting ideas. There are a lot of great characters. I cannot fault the performances. So there is a lot to enjoy. And as you say, like, with how much the fandom kind of enjoys the gifts and imagery from the film, I think that's a key point. Because while I think it's edited in a strange way to make me... I I struggle to enjoy things like within the actual context of the movie because the pacing is so strange. (laughs) But the things in isolation, yeah, I can enjoy them, you know like I think it's it was trying to do too many things because there's just too much there's too much happening with the story um and I think there were just like so many wild and wacky ideas and that's great you know that they they came to it of all these things like we could do this we could do this you know for The Last Jedi it really leaves it a point where you feel like anything could happen so they probably just had a million different ideas and threw everything at the wall and tried to see what's what would stick and you know
0: that's that's the movie we get as a result <laughs> yeah sorry exactly. i hope
1: i'm not i'm not being too negative i don't want to be
0: no i don't think you sound too negative negative. and yeah i think really in relation to the last jedi and like how we feel about that now we have tross i think it is very important that like tross doesn't change anything about the last jedi you know the last jedi is still what it is and it's still wonderful You know, if anyone has been nervous about revisiting the sequel trilogy since The Rise of Skywalker, which I completely understand, I would honestly really urge people to go back to the films they know they love. You know, go back and watch Force Awakens, go back and watch The Last Jedi, because they're still what you remember them to be, you know? And obviously not everyone is going to be able to compartmentalize like I've managed to do. But I think they still work great in isolation, you know. Aside from anything else that happened subsequent to them, and I think even with the knowledge of what happened in the Rise of Skywalker, I, I still think the other two films are fantastic. You know, I think you can separate it out and still really enjoy what's there. And there's also lots to enjoy in Rise of Skywalker. And yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do that justice when we talk about it next time.
1: Yeah, no, I- I'm with you. I love these movies.
0: Yeah exactly and the sequel trilogy is always going to be my star wars guys that's those are the characters that i'm really attached to and yeah like I, I feel happy saying that i'm the sequel trilogy nerd so yep i own it
1: yeah for me you know luke skywalker had never been so interesting so you know that yeah. that was that was pretty amazing to get so invested in that character and relate to him so much as well
0: exactly yeah so I'm very grateful for these films and Last Jedi in particular because that was just this huge paradigm shift It's like, we're right, we're right. <laughs> and yeah, it's just awesome and I love it and watching it gives me the warm fuzzies. We hope people enjoyed this little trip down memory lane and we'll be back for another one.
1: In terms of like what it could mean for the future of Star Wars and you know, people going off in these exciting, ambitious directions, it doesn't mean that that can't happen now, you know? I think there are some really interesting projects on the dock. We'll see what happens. I, you know, we are both still holding our hope for Ryan Johnson's trilogy being a thing.
0: <laughs> yep. And in the interview that he did with Soraya Wilson, he did reiterate that he's still working on his trilogy, obviously, slowly with no confirmed release date, but it's still in the works. And every time that is mentioned, I feel a burst of hope. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. That seems like a good note to round this out on. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918.
1: I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at ScavengersHorde.
0: Until next time, bye! Bye!